Children of the Hydra, hear my call. The following podcast contains spoilers for the movie Jason and the Argonauts. Now bring me that fleece. Welcome to Diabolical, the show where four long-suffering friends dissect films' most dastardly schemes and try to improve them. I'm your host, Adam, and this week's movie is the classic Jason and the Argonauts. So, dear listeners, keep your grubby mitts off that golden fleece, will ya? And let's get diabolical. Greetings and welcome to this week's pod. Joining me, as always, are my friends and fellow podcasters in their guise as the panel of peril. So, chaps, please introduce yourselves and tell me, what is your favourite stop-motion creature or effect? I'm Gavs, and my favourite stop-motion creature are the terror dogs in Ghostbusters. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like the Keymaster and the Gatekeeper. Yes, those the ones. Okay. Uh, yeah. Very good. The saucy babies. It's funny, actually, because uh, I, like, I really like the puppets of them, but the stop-motion ones have always really bothered me. Mm. Like, uh, especially when it bursts out of the door and it's really, the, the lighting on it is all wrong for Lewis's apartment. Eh, but there you go. I'm Lord Manly Supreme, and my favourite stop-motion creature effect is the AT-AT from mm. Empire Strikes Back. Mm. Nice. Nice. Very nice. With a very special mention for the scrap walkers in The Mandalorian. They brought back stop-motion for the Mandalorian. Uh, yeah, really? Just a little snippet, but nicely done. I had no idea they used stop motion for that. That's great. Yeah. Probably used um, more frames per second, didn't they, or something like that. Just one more frame per second, apparently. One more frame just makes it that smidgen smoother. Like yeah. looking through a Excellent. window when you had that frame. Through a window frame. Bit of AI motion smoothing and a bit of uh, motion blur effects mm. on the top. That probably yeah. make it. Tremendous. Craig here. And I was going to say that my favourite stop-motion creature is the cat and the dog that are a couple in Creature Comforts. But I thought, <laughs> we've got an international audience. So uh, <laughs> I'll say it is Ed209. Oh, nice. Ooh. Yeah, that's that was going to be my second choice because it is pretty good, actually, um, yeah. for stop-motion, isn't it? Yeah, I do like that. Yeah. My favourite will be uh, Medusa from Clash of the mm. Titans. That's great. Which, I always look forward to seeing. Ironically. Yeah, ironically, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it's safe in the knowledge that I can't be turned to stone by looking at Mm. him. Because your heart has already been stoned for many, many years. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I swallowed uh, a bag of concrete years ago, and I've never been the same since. A lot of people have said it's improved you, and I I tend to be in that camp. Having taken a brief hiatus for Jurassic Park, Yeah or Mare returns stronger than a giant bronze statue with an attitude problem. All right. So, gents, can I please have a Yeah or Mare for the following stop-motion films? Wallace and Gromit, The Wrong Trousers. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. It's a, it's a unanimous yeah there. I hope Frank this is just going to be all the Wallace and Gromit films. <laughs> <laughs> Frank and Weenie also, yeah. Frank and Weenie. Yeah. I yeah, haven't seen it. it. 
Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I didn't realise that was was made based on a short short that Tim Burton did. Yeah, I've seen the short, but I had Corpse Bride Burnout. Right, a video game. (laughs) (laughs) You've got to wipe them out as best as you can in slow motion, (laughs) the Corpse Brides. In a car. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Clash of the Titans. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> which one are you talking about? Like the original or like the one with the Avatar guy in it? The original 1981. Nah. It'd have been better for either of them, so I don't know why I clarified really. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic Mr. Fox. Yeah. 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 <laughs> James and the Giant Peach. Yeah. Yeah. I've yeah. seen that one either. Oh, it's real good. Real good. This next one I haven't seen, but I think at least two of you have. Guillermo de Toro's Pinocchio. Oh, yeah. yeah. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet smooth. either, but I thought I'd include that because I knew Gaz and Craig had definitely seen it and and they are given it high praise already. So yeah, I thought that would be interesting to get that in there. So you include that so you could get the answer that you already knew was coming. <laughs> <laughs> Later, we will be competing at the end of the show to improve the villainous plot of the week and to gain priceless peril points in the final four episodes to be crowned Season 2 Champion. Until then, let's get stuck into the film. Jason and the Argonauts was released in 1963. It tells the story of Jason, who's been prophesied to take the throne of Thessaly. Jason saves Pelias from drowning, but does not recognise him as the man who had earlier killed his father when he was just a nipper. Pelias tells Jason to travel to Colchis to find the Golden Fleece. Jason follows his advice and assembles a sailing crew of the finest men in Greece, including Hercules. The film was critically acclaimed upon its release, but it was considered a flop until it found itself a cult following specifically due to the monsters, brought to life by legendary special effects creator and producer Ray Harryhausen. Harryhausen brought these creatures to life using stop-motion animation techniques, learned from his mentor Willis O'Brien, creator of King Kong. Harryhausen's influence on modern filmmakers is notable. Luminaries such as Steven Spielberg, James Cameron, Peter Jackson, George Lucas, John Landis, and of course Nick Park have cited Harryhausen as the being the man who inspired their own work. But what did we think of the film? Gaz, are you a Harryhausen fan? Yeah, yeah. Um, in, in as much <laughs> as. Well, hang on, hang on. <laughs> with both feet, as usual. <laughs> in as much... In as much as he doesn't mean him any specific harm. <laughs> in as much as the best parts of the film are the sequences with him yeah. providing creatures and the, the yes. sections of the film that are just actors, quote-unquote, acting, and there's a quote-unquote storyline, yes. are vastly weaker. <laughs> so yes, I'm a Ray Harryhausen fan, but less so yes. the film as a whole. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, that, that, I think that, I think that's a fair comment and probably will be shared by uh, Lord Manley and Craig. Craig, would you care to share your thoughts? I am a Harryhausen fan and his legacy, you know, the, the filmmakers you spoke about and, and others. But I, I'm also a fan of Jason and the Argonauts. I like that 
era of big studio over the top emoting type acting that was lampooned in in uh, Hail Caesar. <laughs> I enjoy that kind of film, so I enjoyed every minute of watching this. My immediate impression of it was I was quite surprised that the the scale of it, the uh, the number of extras in the opening battle, I thought was quite impressive, and it just felt like real yeah. old Hollywood, like a real big studio blockbuster effort. So I, I was impressed with that. And as far as the acting, I think that was that was just the style of the day. Yeah. The style uh, of the time. <laughs> for me, it started slowly, and mm-hmm. Todd Armstrong is somehow less animated than the freaking creatures around him. <laughs> <laughs> but once you look beyond that, mm. you have a story, as Gaz said, that feels really like, too episodic to feel coherent. It was like mm. the threads between the, the set pieces were not strong enough to to make it feel like a coherent story, I thought. But once you look beyond that, then you have the issue that basically all films of the era have where they film night scenes in the day, but with a really thick or dark (laughs) filter on the lens. Yeah. So like the scenes feel poorly lit, but you can also see blue sky through the lens. It's like, oh fuck, it doesn't even look real. So yeah, it was, uh, that's how it's always hard to get through. But once you look beyond that, (laughs) <laughs> then it's, it's then it's actually a visual and audio delight yeah and as Gaz mm. said the, the Harryhausen effect are undoubtedly the star of this they look great they sound great still and you can imagine seeing them at the time in the cinema when you know not much like it had been done before it must have been uh, mind blowing yeah that's it um, I, I've, I've specifically chosen this just purely for the special effects um and the the look of the film because it, um, everything to do with the film is Harryhausen, the whole look of it because he he was into the Greek mythology side of things and he collected the artwork as well and his foundation has continued to like exhibit all his models and stuff loans out the the artwork that he's collected over the years so it's not just the special effects um, but it's again it's one of these films that I've chosen purely as an emotive film for me because I remember watching this and other Harryhausen flicks when I was a kid and they always they used to be shown at any time of the day and I was always so excited because I was like yes it's a monster flick in the middle of the day and you can watch it and it's bloody scary and especially watching uh, this one and Talos and the sound of Talos when he just starts to move and it's like uh, and it's the first time I watched this film for years the other day and I was like that sound is still it just takes you back straight away and it still sounds fantastic and we're old enough now to probably understand a bit more about the filmmaking techniques and everything and how much of a pioneer he was it's just to me it's probably more sentimental and more appreciative it now than i was when i was just a kid and i just i just like being scared and looking at the monsters chasing the people and stuff so yeah, I, I still love it. Yeah, yeah I'd say I'd always be pleased when that or like Sinbad or something would come on. You knew you were in for a bit of an afternoon drink. Yeah. His pioneering and the, the lengths he went to to improve upon his craft with every film, really kind of remarkable. But even in this, one of my favourite bits is uh, when Patrick Troughton, uh, who was the second Doctor, he's the blind guy who's being pestered by the Harpies. Yeah, and Finish. They take his cane from him. Mm. The, the stop motion harpies and it it's just such a nice little touch it really grounds them in in the world that they're in and all the battles they have like with the skeleton army the 
children of the teeth of the hydra, whatever the fuck. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah, you will turn an apology for that, buddy. <laughs> Why? In the League of Gentlemen episode. Yeah. yeah. So, what about it? Oh <laughs> my god! You can't even apologise when you bang the rights <laughs> for what? Turner wanted to make skeletons out of the, the Royston Vasey people. Yeah. And you took them out and people. said, and no, said that skeletons just come out of the ground in Vargonauts. No I, no, I didn't. I said... Oh, we've got it recorded and you're denying it. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's not what I said. That's why. I said, what's the point in going in the village looking for teeth when you're in a graveyard that already has skeletons in it? Well, you listen back. You Let's need to listen back. Uh, I know what I said. Let, listen to it. Not you reverse egg over. on your face. Let's not let's not go back in uh, and reverse over your milk. You're fucking senile, <laughs> you old prick. <laughs> it was yeah. It was it was my plot in that, in that obviously yeah was was in uh, as a, a doth of the cap, and I wondered if anybody would pick it up, and nobody did at the time. So uh, I'm glad that um, that I that I sort of had this in on the in my periphery, thinking about I'd do it as a film eventually. And I, thought, oh, I think we well, all knew I've... you were referencing that skeleton fight, but I didn't remember that they came from the teeth of the hydra. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's quite random, really, isn't it? Yeah. I was expecting an army of skeletons, having not seen the film before, and then I was like, "There's one, two, three, four, there's seven <laughs> skeletons." It's not actually that intimidating to me. <laughs> no. Like one of uh, I don't know we're not into it yet, but one of my favourite things is how he points at them all as come up yet another. <laughs> And he's pointing at him like his men might not have noticed. Look, there's another skeleton there. In those days, the Greek counting system had only got to five. So it blew their minds when they got to seven. The number as yet undiscovered. He just, but he just, he just goes like, against the children of the hyder's teeth, there is no protection. And apart from when you jump yeah, off a cliff is. and into the sea, and then yeah. you just disintegrate. <laughs> just go back to what you said there, Turner and, and Craig, yeah. about when one of these films would come on. And it was usually a Sunday, wasn't it? Yes, And you thought course. you were in for a treat. Yeah. I think the opposite. I thought, oh, shit. I feel like doom and gloom and like... For me, it, it evokes memories of rainy Sundays because maybe that was the only time I was inside the house. Yeah. So yeah. I had a theory, but I think you guys have blown out of the water, that this movie was the only movie owned by Channel 4 in the late 80s and 90s. <laughs> and on Sundays, when the weather was good, Channel 4 wouldn't play anything. It would just be blank screen. It would just be like, uh, you know, static. But then on, on rainy Sundays, like, oh shit, we've got to put something on because people might be watching this and they just have Jason the Argonauts on a loop. <laughs> yeah, but perhaps that, that was absolutely fine with me. Yeah, absolutely fine by me. Yeah. should probably point out at this point that you as a child also didn't like chocolate except for penguin biscuits, right? Mm. So your taste in things. Yeah, is unreliable. Yeah. The only reason why you weren't in the house on a Sunday was because you were out dogging. Yeah, I, I was one of the pioneers <laughs> of the dogging scene, if you, if you don't mind. Exactly. It's only when it's raining, you couldn't stand outside a car wanking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, continue. He's forgotten what he was going to say, like he forgot what I said in the League of Gentlemen. <laughs> no, that, that was my whole theory. The whole theory is that Channel oh, okay. 4 only owned one film and that they only played it on rainy Sundays. You were saying, you were in the middle of saying something else though when we interrupted you. You listen to it back, you'll have egg and cream on your face. <laughs> the way I like it. <laughs> Maybe you'll remember. Well, you'll have a cream egg <laughs> on your face. At that moment what it was. <laughs> cream egg. <laughs> 
Oh, you love a cream egg all over your face. <laughs> it's funny you said cream egg because I was going to say before I don't like eating cream eggs because they got the taste and texture of foil. But once you get beyond that, because that's just all I can think about when you were saying all that. <laughs> the guy who makes the uh, children of the Hydra's teeth. That's a neat King wig, isn't 80s. it? Eighties. Oh, it's what that's a hell of a wig. Beard is yeah. incredible. Th- those hats that, that him and his soldiers have is bloody weird. Anyway, don't they? The pointy hats right, and got yeah. flaps over his ears. Yeah, and he, he yeah. look when he's walking up to throw the Hydra's teeth as well. He looks like he's forgotten to put his pants on. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, is he forgotten to put his pants on? It's <laughs> great. Well, what was interesting when I was uh, re- kind of researching this film is obviously, you know, you look at the director of a film, but then I read that actually the director didn't really matter and that no. Harry Housen mm. and, and is it Charles Sneer? Is that his producer? Yeah, yeah. All they used to do is just get a director who could who would listen to whatever they say. Like so the, Richard, the Richard was, Mockhand on yeah. Resuming the Jedi. Yeah. <laughs> he was just like a, a director for hire type thing. And, yeah, like a sheep herder. Uh, Move over there, actors. Shepherd is there sometimes known. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm speaking from a New Zealand perspective, aren't I? Clearly. <laughs> of course. Why wouldn't you be? <laughs> As he usually does. <laughs> Someone's got to. <laughs> Harryhausen was given uh, uh, like an honorary Academy Award in 1992 by Tom Hanks. Hang on. Can I guess what the Academy Award did? What was special about it? Because Walt Disney got the the Go on, then. one Academy Award with the seven dwarf-sized Academy Awards. Did Harry Housen yeah. get an articulated statue that like lifted no. the sword up or something like that? No, I don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, he should have if he didn't. In my, opinion. I was going to say, yeah, I was going to say he 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 got the honorary award and he never he never won the award for like uh, creature effects or special effects. But he did, that Willis O'Brien did win one in 1949 for Mighty Joe Young. And Harryhausen mm. was working collaboratively with Willis O'Brien on that. And as sort of, really, he's got a, a, a rightful share of that, I, I would say. I wonder what was winning every year he put out a film, because Jason the Argonauts, the effects of that for 1963 yeah. are yeah. insane. I know, yeah. I, I would, yes. it's, it's probably, uh, can anybody do a quick Google of who won? Uh, for 1963 Academy or 1964 Academy Awards. Ah, it's bloody Mary Poppins, wasn't it? Fair enough. Maori right. Poppins, of course. It's our little it's, uh, All the bloody years he chooses to pull out his bloody absolute stonker like Jason and the Argonauts and he goes up against Maori Poppins. i tell you what though, see her sliding up that banister, that's a great special effect. <laughs> I I, there's something else I'd like to see a sliding up. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Should we talk about favourite moments and then we'll move on to favourite lines if you've got any? Five favourite lines, I guess, are pretty thin on the ground, but there is a, f- a couple of good ones, but... But we'll go with favourite moments first. Well, my favourite sequence is the Talos sequence, mm. culminating in my notes say that Jason pries open his ankle to let out the Tizer within. <laughs> <laughs> the great fountain of Tizer sprays out 
And then for some reason, they couldn't just push the Talos statue over and just film it normally. Even the statue falling over is in stop motion really jerkily. I thought that was really funny. I was like, why don't they just push yeah. it over and film it? <laughs> oh, you got to damage that. It breaks apart. Oh, yeah. If he, it fell over, though, it might have bounced or something while they film it and if they damaged nah, it. That's yeah. true. Maybe they tried it and then they said, "Ah, oh, look, shit, we'll do it in stop motion. Do you know the, the liquid that comes out of Talos' foot is actually red cellophane? Oh. Yeah, right. Yeah, it was animated to look like blood. Hmm. It looks like um, boiling lava, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, it's really good. I, really, I thought it was a great effect, that, myself. Is that a similar favourite scene for you as well? Is it? I don't know what part I like. <laughs> I enjoyed the sequence with the crushing rocks just because I f- mm. the guy that got to play Neptune or Triton or whichever one it was mm. um, just looked like some old fella out of the pub. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You'll do. To be fair, there's quite, a few, there's, there's quite a few blokes in that. They look like they just went on the street and go, come here, sunbathe for like two days, get a bit tanned, and then you can uh, just go on the, this boat and pretend to be uh, an argonaut. It'd be Poseidon, wouldn't it? Neptune's Roman. Poseidon. Poseidon yeah, that's what I Greek. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, is it? Okay. And who's Triton? Um, Ariel's dad in The Little Mermaid. Yeah. Right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I thought that for Argos, the shipwright, yeah. all, all the crew on the on the Argo are quite, you know, quite buff and tanned. And he's just got, he's walking around with greasy man boobs. And a nappy. <laughs> yeah. There's one point he's like lying on the deck as well, like sprawled out with a belly hanging out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You have to go on a long journey like that. Uh, that's, that's not great. body shaving. My favourite sequence is uh, Jason in Olympus when he's tiny on their little table. Uh, that looks really good. Mm. A lot of effects where you have somebody against like a rear projection or a blue screen or whatever, they look really obviously fake and they, they, mm. there's no feeling that they're actually in the world they're in. But I thought this was really well done. It mm. looked, looked like he was a little man on their big table. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Did. And a second film for us with Honor Blackman. Yeah, mm. I was going to say. Oh, wow. <laughs> On the Blackman's ability to maintain a smug uh, facial expression. Yes. Unsurpassed. <laughs> yeah. Rest in smug face. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll show you, smug Zeus. I think that's why they had to give her, you know, a avatar of the, the wooden thing on the boat so that they could uh, portray some other emotions besides smug. <laughs> I'm torn between the the Talos sequence and um, I love the the skeleton fight as well because I think to have all those skeletons going and then for them to, to time all the, the sword fighting and stuff as well is just especially when the the three guys are all together and then all the skeletons are attacking and it's just this movement of of arms and legs and bodies and heads and everything it's just something and the, else the score the music score on that sequence do 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 yeah. Fucking great! That, yeah, some some of the score is really dodgy. You know when the harpies are attacking. Oh, it's so <laughs> it's just it's somebody just doing this on a xylophone, going. It's <laughs> <laughs> like pissing myself. Yeah. <laughs> you know why that was? Why? It's because there was so much fucking brass. The whole orchestra was just twiddling their thumbs, except for the brass section. Yeah. And then when the xylophone finally got a fucking chance to do something, they just fucking put everything into it. <laughs> Here we go! It's my time to shine. There was so much brass. My ears were fucking bleeding watching that film. It's way too in your face. It's very, very farty brass as well, isn't it? Yeah. I like the like Olympics sequence when they're choosing who's going to comprise the crew of the Argo. 
then they do it, you know, with would become the Olympic events like discus and stuff. So that was a, a cool touch. And also like how horny uh, Hercules is. <laughs> and it, it did make me wonder though, how notoriously horny Rob Tappert didn't make his Hercules super horny in the Kevin Sorbo series. Yeah. Really, that series should have just been them like touring around the world looking for clunge. That that could have been that could be a a Greek Odyssey version of uh Red Shoe Diaries, couldn't it? <laughs> Hercules Diaries. Brown Sandal Diaries. Yeah. He's a, he's a bit of a He's a bit of a wimp, really, though, Hercules, isn't he? If he, ma- he makes friends with that hylas fella, and after he gets squashed by Talos, he goes, gets all depressed and just goes off wandering from him, even though he's clearly been squashed. He's a knob, Hercules. Yeah, he's a total prick. Oh, he's the best of us, no, he's a tit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I thought as well. And that kind of leads us neatly onto my favourite line, if that's all right. Yeah, go for it. It is a Hercules line. Yeah. If I meet a girl with a firm leg, a full bosom and a warm heart... Let no man try and stop me. And <laughs> That's my favourite line as well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to be fair, he is a bit of a big fella, isn't he? And he's got quite a large chest. So he'd probably shove you out of the way pretty quick. When you hear tales like that he slayed the Nemean lion, that was just a, a tavern wench. That was her nickname, the, the Nemean <laughs> lion. <laughs> I slayed her. I slayed her good. <laughs> I slayed it with my pork sword. <laughs> you know, is it is it Hylas? Isn't he just isn't he supposed to be the brains of the operation? Yeah, that's why he's brought in, right? Yeah, and he runs under a fucking giant's yeah. foot. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you forgot your needle. Oh! <laughs> I had no idea that that was even a possibility. <laughs> Who would have thought me being crushed by a giant bronze statue? What a prick. <laughs> the way that he proves his uh, mental fortitude to them is by skimming a discus like a pebble. It's not that clever, is it? <laughs> oh, you've done a good one there, Hylas. Oh, Let me like put it. my arm around you and welcome you to the crew. <laughs> yes, if uh, if we need to hit anything like a, a mermaid with a pebble while we're out on the ocean, you're our man. <laughs> <laughs> As Jason sets forth on his voyage for the Golden Fleece, Pelias sends his son, Nicastus, to keep an eye on Jason and prevent him from attaining the aforementioned fleece and keeping him away from Thessaly for as long as possible, knowing that if he kills him, he will also only kill himself. Craig, is this another fine example of precision planning or hastily cobbled together mud pie of a scheme? Yeah, it sort of depends on whose scheme you think it is but I mean Acastus fucks it really doesn't he yeah he makes a series of rash terrible decisions tips his hand too soon and uh, gets his comeuppance although by the way did you think that Jason could have quite easily saved him and that they might have become allies if he had it depends he might have been mortally wounded by the Hydra already I think he was yeah but he had the fleece right oh yeah he could have done yeah 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 exactly yeah, he could have done. That's a dick move, isn't it? Dick, mm. A dick move by Jason there. But he did mm. He did say, he did sort of accuse the castus of wanting to stick a javelin in his back. And then he went, I'll kill you for that. So he was like, yeah, well, you just fucking proved his point, haven't you, dickhead? Yeah, yeah. He should have just gone, <laughs> no, what are you talking about? 
And then she sat down. <laughs> no, what are you talking about? What's that over there? And then stabbed him in the back with javelin. Gaz, <laughs> any uh, pearls of wisdom about the thought, about the plot? Um, not really. It's, it's not a particularly good plan, is it? Hmm. The caster says, while he is searching for the fleece at the ends of the earth, I will be safe. And it's like, will you though? Because if something happens to him, then you're not safe, are you? Have I missed something uh, there? P- Pelias. Pelias, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry. I got Yeah, Acastus is, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but, you know, he's, yeah. It's weird to, it's, it's, is, he, is he sort of sacrificing his son so he can stay on a throne? Or is he just thinking, or is he overconfident in his son's abilities? And, um, hmm. you know, and, but at the same time, he can't get his son to kill him because that, and then, or expressly say, kill him. Otherwise, he'll he'll be fucked as well, won't he? So yeah. So I think to Gaz's point, I think what Polias was saying mm. was that well, Jason is occupied; he can't mm. be here trying yeah. to usurp me as the king of Thessaly. But also, Polias couldn't kill Jason himself. But if Jason got killed in on mm. the quest, that has nothing to do with him, right? Nothing to do with Polias, so he'd be all right. Acasta sort of tries to get that get that in motion with um, Talos, doesn't he? Because he says. Well, I'll lead him right to you, Jason, or whatever, or something like that. And sort of like wink, wink kind of thing. I'm going to get you squashed or something. But obviously, it doesn't quite work out that way, does it? Well, I think my plan's not going to make a whole hell of a lot of sense based on what just happened here. <laughs> <laughs> when does it ever, Gaz? When no, no, does no, it ever? No, because you did expressly say that we could pick Pelias yeah. or Acastus. So yes. you're fine, Gaz, yes. don't worry. Yes, worry. it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> There's, we've got some room for manoeuvre here. I wonder if Gaz's plans are going to be a recipe for a Greek salad. <laughs> I've had to hastily <laughs> change some fast. wording while we've been talking now, so it, it may it may track, it may not. <laughs> That's fine. Changed, That's fine. Have you changed feta to halloumi? Is that what you've done? <laughs> Lord Manley. For my two cents, as it were, I think Pelias sending his son mm-hmm. as a, a mole... I think it is actually a good idea, but then everything else just turns to shit because his son's too impetuous and a bit of a knobhead. Yeah. So I'm giving it four florets of broccoli. Oh, yeah. Mm. That's pretty scathing. <laughs> Pelias's faith in his son is misplaced, and Acastus is eventually killed by the Hydra as he attempts to take the Golden Fleece for himself. Even a last-minute intervention... From King Aetes and the children of the Hydra isn't enough to prevent Jason escaping with the fleece to triumphantly return to Thessaly. Can we do any better than Pelias and stop Jason? Lord Manly Supreme, what have you got up your sleeve? I send my son, Nicastus, to fetch me the golden fleece, but deep down I know he is too impetuous, too hot-headed to succeed. No, I have little doubt that a tragedy befitting Antigone herself will befall him. I must devise a failsafe, a backup plan. But what? I stride up and down the corridors of my palace. I walk through my famous rose gardens, desperate for the gods to give me a sign, anything that will make the golden fleece mine. I sit down to breakfast and pick up the news tablet. It has been hastily chiselled and the front page is filled with some sensationalist claptrap about a greedy king somewhere down south, one who got more than he bargained for after making a pact with a deity. 
Wait a sandal-strapping minute. I stuff down my poached hog snout and hurry to the temple of Dionysus, the god of wine and revelry, bringing with me an earthenware jug full of my finest booze. At the temple, I drop to my knees. Oh, thrower of banging parties, whose time for chugging an entire jug of wine is next level, and whose drunken harp solos are gnarly in the extreme. Hear my prayer. I bring my hand to my face and begin to twirl the ringlets in my hair. Um, I'm throwing a feast at my palace later. I was hoping, you know, if you're not doing anything, maybe you'd like to come. My parents have gone to the Greek equivalent of Carbo for the weekend, and I've got the keys to the wine cellar. If you're busy, that's cool too, you know, whatever. Leaving the jug as an offering slash taster, I return to my palace to prepare. That night, a grand party is in full swing. Boars everywhere. But don't worry, there are plenty of interesting people too. And food and drink, the like of which yous have never seen. But a couple of hours in, the party begins to sag. It doesn't look like the guest of honour is going to arrive at all. And everyone can sense it. I'm pretty bummed. I'm about to call it a night when who should walk through the archway but Dionysus himself, looking fly in his freshly creased tunic. He shouts, Yo! I thought this was a party, not awake, dudes! Let's get <laughs> nuts in this hizzy! He grabs the nearest jug and starts to chug it like a bronze baby nuzzling at his mother's dope titty. The crowd cheers and the party kicks into life. We go for days. There's boozing, dancing, fornicating and more boozing. Someone drinks their own spew from a goblet for a gold coin. And Bessius loses his shit over some guy peddling a mad theory about triangles. It's off the hook. Finally, a totally wasted Dionysus comes to me and wraps his arm around my shoulder. Dude, he says. Sweet fucking party, man. Let me do something for you in return. Call it my way of saying thanks for these legit festivities in my honour. In my honour. I lean towards his divine ear. What I want is... Done, dude! Sorry, what was that? I didn't, didn't hear what you said. <laughs> Love Manly Supreme is tapping his nose. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, Dionysus leaves, stopping only to take a quick slash against the rosebush. After sleeping off a three-day hangover, I await Jason's return. When finally his ship lands, I greet him with a traditional Greek handshake. And he immediately turns to gold, just like everything else I touch when I'm not wearing my mutton skin gloves. The fleece is now mine to do with as I please. But what about Jason? I hear you bleat. Well, he's not dead. He's still very much alive. After reading about what that daft King Midas did to his daughter, I was wise enough to ask Dionysus to allow me to encase things in gold and leave tiny air holes so that my victims can breathe and take sustenance. <laughs> I place Jason in my garden as a reminder to all those who may seek to usurp me. It's freaking sweet. So what's your plan? <laughs> I, I think... Um, Midas, Midas powers from yeah. Dionysus. Midas yep. powers. So you don't need the golden fleece. No, I still want the fleece because it's a gift from the gods. I still want to look yeah. cool in front of my mates. 
You could have any fleece there and just turn it to gold with your powers. Yeah. Right, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, just say, but it wouldn't have the, that's wouldn't that's have the properties bonus. of the golden fleece, the healing properties and the uh, the bounty that it brings. So what I was going to say is, I think the reason the gods gave Midas his power wasn't to give him power. It was to teach him a lesson, right? The whole point no. of it is like a moral no. lesson. No. Read the story, Craig, before you start making things up like last time, like the uh, League of Gentlemen. Go on, elaborate. <laughs> so what happens with Midas is that, yeah. yeah, the story is is a parable about being greedy, but what happens is Dionysus, well, actually uh, a friend of Dionysus stays with King Midas and is treated to a royal party. And, and as a thank you, Dionysus grants uh, Midas a boon and he decides that he wants to be able to turn things to gold. Right. But what I mean is, I think Dionysus is aware how that's going to go. I don't think he's going, oh yeah, you you mortal, I'll give you, you don't this know great that, power. You don't know that and it doesn't say uh, that in It's the implicit. It's implicit. No, it's not. Read it, Craig. You don't even know it happened. We all read it in school, so. Uh, you know. Oh, you remember it now, do you? <laughs> I'm saying it's implicit. <laughs> sure, sure. Implicit in the thing you don't remember. That's interesting. <laughs> I know writers who use subtext and are all cowards. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what you're saying? Yeah. <laughs> well, I like the plan. Good. I like the uh, the idea of uh, forming a, a pact with a with a god. I like the thing that's a that's a smart angle. I like that mm, you went I with Midas because it, yeah. it's a, it's ties in with the the fleece. But I think there are just those couple of holes in it. So we'll see how holy everyone else's cheese is before yeah. before yeah. I decide. The holes, as I mentioned, are for Jason to breathe and take sustenance. For the air. Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> does the gold form... Got to leave a few holes. Yeah, yeah. Does, where, yeah does it, it form around their nostrils? I don't know, but I'll tell you what it does do. It does significantly lessen the monetary value of, of the things you turn to gold. They're only gilded, aren't they? They're not solid gold like Midas's stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Can I interest you in this gold man? Is it solid? Um, no, it's yes. gold plated. Why is it talking? <laughs> no reason. It's uh, one of those ones you Why wind is it up. Saying, Help me. <laughs> Excellent. Gaz, would you like to dazzle us with your um, conundrum? I can try. What's this fuffy, buffy nonsense here, Dad? Gold fleece and I'm flipping heard of it. Says a cactus. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, the golden fleece. The garment of legend that cures any living thing, makes grass and plants grow, and heals both mortals and demigods. I know it well, says Acastus's dad. Wow, that sounds reek good, doesn't it? But why the heck in chocolate-covered toffee haven't we tried to find it ourselves, dad? Golden fleece would be handy if I accidentally chopped my finger <laughs> off when slicing my apple into little chunks like a great big silly pants McKnife, says Acastus. <laughs> <laughs> it does sound rather good, doesn't it, Acastus, says Acastus's dad. But... I have sent a chap named Jason on a fool's errand to seek the fleece which you must prevent. Fucking hell! We need to get to it first before Argonauts can, don't we, Dad? Bunch of jumped up flaming collywodgers, says Acastus. Yes, we do need to get to it, and I have a cunning ruse to ensure that Jason and his merry band don't secure the fleece before we ourselves can, says Acastus's dad. Well, go on, Dad. Don't keep it from me. Spit it out, you great big top warrior, says Acastus. We shall engage the most talented seamstresses in the land to fashion a counterfeit fleece. 
placing it on Jason and the noughts of Argo's pathway. Upon seeing our fleece, they will seize and return from whence they came, being careful to dodge the giant man splashing in a bathtub as they go, says Acastus' dad. Wow, you've thought of everything, haven't you, dad? A right smarty pants bastard you are, says Acastus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yes, I certainly have thought of absolutely everything. <laughs> Just as his dad. <laughs> then we shall ha- <laughs> Then we shall have the real fleece, etc., etc. The end. <laughs> I think there's an argument that uh, if you if you never win a season of Diabolical, but you always do some regional accent, that you've won a moral victory every time. Yeah. <laughs> Can I ask if the changes you were making mid-show were to change Acastus for Acastus's dad? <laughs> no, no, it was um, sending. Um, oh, what was it? <laughs> it was sent a chap named Jason on a fool's errand to seek the fleece, which you must prevent. <laughs> was the line that I completely changed? Uh, what did you have before? I don't remember. It was something like. Um, they're on their way towards us. Okay. <laughs> because Did you watch the I film? thought they were already there. <laughs> and they were waiting for them to ambush them. <laughs> wow, you really must have thought their plan was shit. <laughs> uh, so I, I have, do have one question for you, I'm afraid, which is, do you think it would take them very long to realise that they've got a counterfeit golden fleece? For instance, you know, when one of the idiots gets squashed by a... a you know, a giant or something, and they try and heal him with it, and they're going, uh, "This isn't working." Uh, and it seems to be, it seems to be quite poorly made. It's not, it's not a. It's, <laughs> it's made of got, got tinsel on it. Got tinsel on it. They might notice, but then again, um, they might not. <laughs> Think about it. Here's a question for you: This conversation is going on between. It's going on between Pelias and Acastus, right? Yeah. Where do they place the fleece for Jason to go and get it? Somewhere on um, his path. I don't know. Yeah, I believe I believe I said uh, <laughs> quite clearly. I'm looking for it. Uh, I know they don't have to go through the crushing rocks on their pathway. On their pathway. So, but Acastus is on the <laughs> ship. How'd they get it ahead of him? A harpy. A harpy can fly it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> or just like look over, just go look over there and then just run in front of them and drop it on the floor and then hide. <laughs> yeah. Just do the old switcheroo. Look, Jason, I think it's the fleece. Look, at, it's Pegasus <laughs> over there. Look. <laughs> Any more questions from either of you two? Gaz, would you like to say anything else in your defense? Would you like to apologize now? <laughs> uh, well, my initial plan was uh, to do the entire end sequence from Clash of the Titans with the Medusa's head but uh, I just can mm. be arsed right now and the end of this plan <laughs> where he just says etc etc the end is because I got bored writing it <laughs> which is why it's not very well pulled out <laughs> so the listener's going to bloody love it so in my defence I got bored <laughs> that is fine that is absolutely fine Craig would you like to uh, pew 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 Prepare to get bored again. Here we go. <laughs> Noble Hades, Lord of the Afterworld, honoured host of our beloved dead, husband to fair-haired Persephone, eldest son of full-hearted Rhea and Cronus of the Shining Sickle, 
I praise thee. Upon thy head, the shining helm that veils the one it crowns in darkness. Within thy grasp, the fearful staff of which thou split the world asunder. Within thy realm, O Hades, are treasures too, of life and abundance. The precious seeds of fruit and grain, the soft black loam that clings to root and leaf. Without these gifts would mankind fail to flourish. Hades, I praise and honour thee. I thank thee for thy blessings. Also, couldst thou grant unto us a little favour? Banging <laughs> my fists and head against the ground, I pray thusly to Hades that he might come to my aid, as Hera hath come to the aid of my foe, Jason. Averting my kingly gaze from the face of Hera's likeness, I sacrifice a beautiful black ram from the nearby island of Kiosh, and let its blood run into a pit that it might more swiftly reach him in the underworld. Make for thyself a black pudding, mighty Hades, or come up for a hero kebab, if that be thy desire, but deliver unto me the golden fleece. Foolish mortal, replies Hades. Of course I would love a doner kebab. <laughs> <laughs> Forgive me, benevolent Hades, but doner kebabs are from Turkey. Foolish mortal, retorts Hades. They're definitely lamb. <laughs> uh, yes, wise Hades. So, uh, about this fleece? Foolish mortal, interjects Hades. Hast thou any garlic sauce? This goes on for a bit, and once Hades' legendary hunger is sated, I beseech him again to aid me against Jason and Hera. Foolish mortal, chuckles Hades. Mistake me not for some kind of evil cunt like James Woods, the mama who portrays me in the Disney version of Heracles, fucking hateful old goat. Am I not equitable Hades, who strives above all for balance in the affairs of men and gods? Thou hast done me a solid, and I would favour thee, but I cannot bring the fleece to you. There's a horrible sort of dragon thing guarding it, loads of heads. <laughs> Hades' faithful dog Cerberus cocks his three heads in unison, as if his master spake his name. But, his master goes on, I can secrete myself an avatar aboard the Argo, probably a monkey or a parrot or something, and speak words of advice to thy harebrained son, dull-witted Acastus. And so it comes to pass that on that fateful journey, Hades tells Acastus not to blow his beans by attacking Jason, nor to blow his cover by grassing him up to King Aetes, nor to go anywhere near that fucking Hydra, but to bide his time until Jason has secured the fleece, then kill him on the way back. He waits until Jason and Medea are on the job one night, then, <laughs> taking advantage of their post-coital drowsy embrace, he slides his blade through their hearts and makes it look like a murder-suicide Greek tragedy. But my business with Jason is not yet done. The end. <laughs> she wanted to include that ending there because that's how the movie ends. My business is with Jason yeah. is not yet done. Yeah, yeah I'll, it is. But I'll tell you about it later. <laughs> See ya! <laughs> Jason's about to have loads of really cool adventures, but we're not going to tell you about yeah. them. <laughs> and, and you won't see any either, so fuck off. Jason will not return. <laughs> well, maybe he will. No, he won't. Oh, he's going to have some really good times. It's going to be even better than what you've just watched, but I'll show you. <laughs> okay. Did they have the garlic sauce? The Hades. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, the plan skips over that a bit, but they definitely did. Yeah. Mm. Oh, nice. Yeah. See why you'd uh, be willing to to do their bidding with the uh, the garlic sauce for the kebab there. 
They had onion, they had tomato, they had lettuce, they had pita. Was it homemade garlic sauce? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything was oh, homemade good. back then. Didn't have chops and that. Back in olden days. So we're saying that this avatar, be it monkey, be it parrot. Mm. Or something. He's given advice to Acastus the whole time. Mm-hmm. Hades is controlling Savitar? Yeah, so the way that Hera talks through the... Uh, yeah. You know, yeah. The, um, so he's it's Hades giving the advice essentially. That's right. Yeah. Do we trust a man so fixated on kebabs and garlic sauce <laughs> to uh, give sound advice on getting the cold place? If you can't trust a man <laughs> like that, who can you trust? You smell his advice coming from a mile off. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say he's fixated on kebabs. It's just that that's well, he was he was for quite a bit. There's about a third of that plan was talking about kebabs. <laughs> That's because Pelias brings it up. Setting the scene. <laughs> if Pelias had brought up something else, you know. So he'd have been fixated on that. So he's very easily distracted. Is that what you're saying? No, I'm just saying like you you have to offer him something, right? And it happened to be this beautiful black ram. And what do we in Greece make from lamb? You know, we so in Greece. <laughs> yeah, we in ancient Greece. <laughs> 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 But it, yeah, that's just a bit of flavour. The plan really is to to get Hades as an avatar. Yeah, I think yeah, it, I know, you know, I know, you, I know. You, you like to try and pick on the little bits of my plan that are just there and they're not really part <laughs> of the plan, don't you? <laughs> There's definitely character <laughs> development in that plan as well. The, from where he just mm-hmm. becomes an you know a, a kebab-sessed um, omnipotent being to um, uh, you know an omnipotent murderer, monkey or a parrot or something. What's to stop the rest of the crew stopping Acastus? Jason and Medea are on the job. The rest of the crew have enough respect to give them a bit of privacy, uh, whereas okay, the is he's, he's bent on sliding something into them while they've uh, just just done it. Do you think Acastus's impetuous sort of nature will be curbed by Hades? What would he? What would he? What would he say to him? Yeah, you don't you don't give Hades any shit. He would just say to him, Acastus. Remember, don't kill Jason now. You'll give the game away. Stuff like that. And uh, <laughs> Acastus might go, let me at him, Hades. And Hades will go, I am Hades. And if you don't do what I say, I can make life very difficult for you. Ever had hemorrhoids? <laughs> <laughs> Stuff like that. <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, That's, That's brought up kind of two issues. One, wouldn't someone else the crew just get the golden fleece and heal the buggers? Two, <laughs> if Jason dies, doesn't Pelias die too? No, I think it's only if Pelias does it. That's the deal. Because Acastus does try and kill Jason in the film, which he wouldn't mm. do if that was the, yeah. the yeah. problem, right? And as far yeah, as the fleece true. goes, there's clearly like a, a time thing on that. And, you know, Medea was injured. She wasn't dead. So uh, what's happening is he's waiting for them to be on the job specifically for two reasons. One, after they're done, they'll be shagged out and they'll both fall asleep and roll over as people do. And uh, the other, that the rest of the crew won't be anywhere near Jason's cabin because when the Argos are rocking, you don't come a-knocking. All right. <laughs> That's excellent. Well, any further questions? No. Okay. I've gone to mine. Pelias, to be fair, is a bit of a big head. Just to get a kingdom, he murders his neighbour and his kids. He used to say that his back garden couldn't have been his kingdom, eh? Anywho, as Jason and his crew journey to retrieve the Golden Fleece, Pelias plans to frame Jason for a terrible crime in order to discredit him and solidify Pelias' hold on the throne of Thessaly. To aid him in his scheme, 
he enlists the help of the Titan, Prometheus, who is angry with Zeus and Hera for ignoring the plight of mortals and for his previous imprisonment by Zeus. Prometheus, who is freed by Hercules from his punishment, is the Titan who gave fire to humans and was known for his cunning and his intelligence. Prometheus agrees to assist Pelias in exchange for a promise to elevate his worship and power in Thessaly once their plan succeeds, hoping that one day to restore his standing amongst the gods. Prometheus uses his cunning to spread false information and rumours about other events that catch the attention of the gods. He creates several natural disasters, heavily damaging key cities important to the worship of the gods and their power bases. Prometheus also has the appearance of a major threat to the gods themselves, such as another rogue titan, or perhaps a powerful monster that requires their immediate attention. As Zeus, Hera and the other gods focus their attention on these disasters, they are unable to see the true nature of Pelias' plan. Prometheus uses his, this distraction to help Pelias plant false evidence uh, about adjacent alleged crimes, knowing that the gods are too preoccupied to notice. With Prometheus' help, Pelias plants evidence that falsely implicates Jason in the ritualistic murder of a nobleman in Thessaly. They also bribe witnesses and spread rumours that Jason is a violent, dangerous criminal and false prophet of the gods. With the seeds of distrust thoroughly sown against Jason in Thessaly, it will take more than a golden fleece to turn the public opinion around now. As Jason and his crew near Thessaly, they are unaware of the plot against them. When they arrive, they are ambushed by Pelias' soldiers and many of them are killed or captured. Jason is taken prisoner and brought before Pelias, who proclaims him guilty of the murder and orders him to be imprisoned in the deepest dungeon for the rest of his life as punishment for all the misery he is brought to Thessaly. Prometheus remains true to his deal with Pelias and helps him maintain his hold on the throne. With Pelias' support, Prometheus' influence in Thessaly grows and he becomes a major power player in the region. Even when Medea attempts to use a magic to free Jason, Prometheus intervenes and uses his own powers to counter her spells. He makes it appear as though Jason's fate is sealed and that the gods have abandoned him. In the end, Prometheus' distractions prove successful, allowing Pelias to maintain his grip on Thessaly and can keep Jason imprisoned. As for the gods... They are left to deal with the aftermath of the bother that Prometheus has wrought, unaware of the true extent of his machinations. So what natural disasters does Prometheus cause? Uh, earthquakes, volcanoes, uh, whatever, really. So nothing involving fire when he's the god of fire. Oh, he's, yeah, well, he's volcanoes. Volcanoes. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. fire mm. within a volcano. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm. I don't buy it. I don't think he could cause those natural disasters. Yeah, I'm not sure. Ah. Beyond this power. And even if he could, wouldn't that make the gods a bit sus? No. would be like, hang on, did you feel that earthquake? Who could be capable of doing that outside of Olympus? <laughs> ah, well, he's cunning, isn't he? And intelligent. And he's the god that created fire. Prometheus didn't create fire. He stole fire from the gods. Are gods omnipresent? No, well, because in the context of the film or not, because they're looking through that puddle, aren't they, and looking down at the Argo and stuff like that. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> go, What's that puddle over there with the Argo in it? <laughs> <laughs> It'd be pretty difficult to blindside an, an omnipotent being. Yeah. yeah. But the other side of that is that 
they've got all the world to potentially survey, but they do concentrate on Jason because they're playing like a kind of game, aren't they? Yeah, they're playing that game. But if there's a threat to their power bases, though, and stuff like that, like that's why yeah, that's why Prometheus goes for their cities with volcanoes and stuff like destroy. And as they they need people to pray and worship to them, but if they're if they're being attacked. They can be like, "Why have you punished us, Zeus and Hera?" Blah blah blah. You know, like and they'll be like, "Oh shit, we're gonna we're gonna lose our powers because nobody believes us anymore." I think that um, maybe I'm agreeing with Gaz that I don't know if Prometheus has that power, but you know, mm. yeah. he's probably that, got he's probably got pretty, more pretty more power than Dionysus or whatever his name is, party god. Well, Dionysus is a god, right? And, yeah. and Prometheus is a titan. Yeah, but he's an original Titan. He became he they were there before the Olympians. They are the original gods, and they were beaten by the Olympians. But they still remain very powerful beings. Atlas was uh, a Titan, wasn't he? And he was an original mm. god, but he was beaten by Zeus. And then for his crimes, he was made to carry the weight of the the sky on his shoulders for the rest of his life and stuff. But then in this, like I say, um, Prometheus was freed by Hercules because he was chained to a mountain. And uh, an eagle would come every day and eat his liver, but because he's immortal, the liver would just re- regenerate, and every day he'd suffer mm. the same fate until Hercules freed him. What was Prometheus getting from his deal, by the way? Uh, he was getting worshipped. Oh, okay. Mm. How did Pelias call on him? Uh, he went, Oi! Are there, are there temples? Oi, Prometheus! Oi! Oi! Right, okay. But, turned around and went, Yeah, it's me. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That. Okay, so the gods aren't omnipotent. No. They need to be looking at a puddle to see where they see. Yes. But somehow this guy calling out into the ether is able to call on Prometheus. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Ooh. All right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, that's it, yeah. Noted. <laughs> any more for any more? Well. I don't think I like any of the plans this week, I'll be honest. Well, that's... Let's flip a three-sided well, coin. That's, well, I'm glad we all agree. What happens if you want to vote for no one? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just withhold your vote. <laughs> In summary, we had Lord Manly Supremes, party god Dionysus, granting Pelias the Midas powers... Gaz's plan was to replace the Golden Fleece with a fake to con Jason into thinking he'd already got the Golden Fleece. And Craig's plan was to invoke the help of Hades to rein in Acastus and to eventually kill Jason. And my plan was to invoke the help of the Titan Prometheus in the hope that he would distract the gods long enough so... Elias could imprison Jason for good. Well, there can only be one winner. Or two. Or four. But never three. Let's now all cast our votes. Ding, 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 yeah, I went for the least bad plan. <laughs> Obviously, I'd have voted for my own, which was great. Shit. But I went for the least bad plan, and I think that was Craig's. I'll take that. I'll take that. <laughs> least bad is my wheelhouse. 
<laughs> Craig, would you care to vote, please? Even though I would think of him more as hedonism bot than Duffman, I like the Dionysus plan, so I went with uh, Laird Chicken Marengo Supreme. <laughs> <laughs> Gas. Well, I just went, I don't know, Craig. <laughs> I don't know it's my wheelhouse <laughs> and I too have also voted for Craig oh it's a landslide despite everybody saying how shit it was <laughs> it was well shit I can't believe you got that it was, it was more believable than um, Midas plan how is his plan better than the Midas plan screw you guys I've, there's been a backlash here a real <laughs> season one backlash and I'm feeling the brunt of it I voted for you. <laughs> yeah, that's only because you couldn't vote for yourself. Yeah. Yeah, no, I would have voted for myself this week, actually. I, I got to be honest, I finished writing this on like on Tuesday and I, I was quite impressed with it myself. You never can tell, can you? Mm. Season three, I want the, us to be able to vote for ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> Four-way tie every week. <laughs> so... Craig wins two points this week. How does that affect the leaderboard, Gareth? Craig is now in the lead with 11.5 points. In second place with 8.5 points is myself. In third place with 5.5 points is Lord Manly Supreme. And in final place is Adam with four and a half points. So me and Turner can't win it now, is that what you're saying? No, you can, right? You can get, no, you I can can't. still get, oh no, you can only get five points yes. now, can't you? No, I can't. You can't catch me, yeah. Uh, right, well, I'm not coming for the rest of them. <laughs> <laughs> Even though it's uh, your pick next, <laughs> just be us. Yeah. Just have you can have some sweet dead air where my voice yeah. would usually be. You can assume, <laughs> assume what I'd say. So as Craig is the winner of this week's episode, he doesn't get to choose next week's episode. That falls to Lord Manly Supreme. Next week, we're going to go for something a little bit different, a change of pace, a comedy from the very late 20th century. We're going to watch... There's something about Mary. Oh, nice. Very nice. Different kind of plan. Gives us something yeah. fun yeah. To, uh, to think about. Yeah. Wow. And that brings us to the end of this week's episode. Thank you for listening, and I hope you've enjoyed yourselves as much as we have. If you have, please leave us a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts from. And don't forget to follow us so that you never miss an episode. Why not share us with a friend? And follow us across social media on at DiabolicalPod to show all your other friends how cool you are. So until next time, dear listener, isn't it a shame they didn't do a sequel? I know you say I huff and puff at your plans sometime and that, but I caught myself just doing it randomly on a on a video call the other day. So it's not because I'm. It's I know it's I not really. Like, 
They call me Mr. Huff and Puff, but I'm not in a huff and I'm, I'm not, not a puff. A puff. <laughs> I was sitting there like that and I was going... <sighs> but it wasn't... I was, I was just doing it. I was just doing it. I wasn't doing I it because it was wasn't like... a job interview, was it? No. I, it I knew that, but what? you did do it for real um, on the Labyrinth one. Maybe I was just a bit of gas. What's the matter, Tedder? You gassy? Is it gas? You gassy? <laughs> gas, isn't it? <laughs> Welcome to Diabolical, the only show where you get to listen to Claptrap for one hour. Welcome to my nuts. <laughs> Had to wait for, uh, what was that sitcom called? Just the two of us before she... The uh, hand. The upper hand, that's it, yeah. That's yeah. the one. She'd uh, <laughs> spread her wings a little bit dramatically in a sitcom, in a shit ITV sitcom. <laughs> she was in The Avengers as well, don't forget, and she's great in The Avengers. Which one was she, Iron Man? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> boots, boots, kinky boots. You set them up and I'll knock them down. That's how <laughs> we do it back in Hollywood. I have to go with you now. I have no country, and I love you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a mermaid.